This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we've got a guest who's never been here before, which I always love. And uh, I mean, look at this wonderful young woman. I love that too. And uh, we're uh, going to be talking about some pretty intense stuff because she she looks innocent enough, but I would not be the case, I don't think, right? This <laughs> is Jennifer Kermody we're talking uh, to. Now, you'll find her on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. And, and what about that JK Ultra website? I need to get one of those. I'm still a little behind on that. I do. Need yeah, because when you go to the J, to jkultra.com, you get this thing saying, uh, uh, Firefox says, warning, dare not go down this path. Because if you do, you may never come back. Or if you come back, you will have no skin. So, so I didn't go down that path. I figured you're still working on it. <laughs> that's not mine i'm i don't know oh, it's who, not yours no i don't know who that is oh it's such a cool i mean jk ultra the whole idea is so cool i loved it as soon as i saw it maybe oh, you could you. buy it but they probably want a lot of money for a for a, um, a handle like that wow i need to look into that someone probably bought that recently too because it wasn't there before so i should yeah. have got that sooner but oh well <laughs> well and yeah the world the world the world is full of wonderful people it's just that you, it, they're hard to find. <laughs> okay, so listen, you're really heavily into conspiracy stuff. And obviously, you're talking to somebody who lives actually in the middle of it and is very aware of the fact that quite a bit of it is is true. And, and even some of the things that people would think could not be possibly true probably are. Um, so where where are you coming from? I mean, why did you... Here you are. There's lots of things you can do in the world, and you're doing this. Why are you doing this? <laughs> well, um, what's so funny is that I really didn't like intend on doing this. It was actually just a joke with my friends. I mean, this has always been my interest. These are the things that keep me up at night. This is what I spend all my free time doing is reading these books, researching these things. Um, but I never really thought about doing it publicly. I'm a writer and I live in LA and I have been like working in production and stuff like that. Um, and this was kind of just my personal interest, the things that I do in my free time. And a couple of friends and I thought it would just be funny to make TikToks. And I made one about a Glenn Maxwell conspiracy and it just went viral the first time that I tried. So then I was like, oh, well, he, I've got a lot of those up my sleeve because I have like 10 years of going down the rabbit hole. So then it kind of just unraveled. And then after the audience was there, I started kind of gearing a little, little bit more away from conspiracy and more towards like consciousness, um, you know, personal development, soul journey, life purpose. Um, so it was kind of like the conspiracy stuff that got people looking. But then once all of the people were looking, I was like, oh, well, I would rather share stuff that's uplifting that can help people instead of a lot of the conspiracy stuff, which does leave people feeling hopeless. And, you know, a lot of the people in this type of spiritual and even conspiracy communities are empaths. So I just yeah. want to be careful to not be presenting so much information that could really sit with them in a scary way, especially with what we know about creating reality and creating timelines. So 
it's kind of shifted a bit from conspiracy. Of course, the conspiracy is always there because it's interwoven into everything in our lives. But um, that was kind of the transition of it. It was not something that I intended on doing at all. So you 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 kind of you're back. What you're telling me is you've had a tendency to kind of back into your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, you know, you mentioned empaths being in this field, and it's true. It's full of them. It's full of people who have very unusual abilities. My friend, my co-author on my book Supernatural, um, or I should say, our book Supernatural, Jeff Kripal is a professor at Rice University who specializes in what he calls the superhumanities. That is to say the stuff that no one will acknowledge. And this gets me to your piece about Isaac Newton. And because he, this is a classic example. Here he was, an alchemist, a powerful alchemist, Maybe, as you put it, the last magician. And yet we we strip that away. We pretend it never happened. Now he's just a mathematician and the discoverer of gravity. And I mean, those are big things. But here's also a man that predicted the end of the world in a few years, <laughs> uh, who was one of the most biggest minds ever to be on Earth. So can you talk a little bit about that? How much do you know? Um, well, I did dig really deep into that. And that's actually one of my favorite, you could call it a conspiracy or whatever, you know, it's one of my favorites because, you know, I've kind of spent a lot of my life. Um, and I did talk about this on Linda's show was that I had a UFO experience as a child. So I never really believed um, science as it was being taught to me in school because I was like, well, this is obviously missing a lot of stuff because I've seen other things. So I've always had some type of resentment towards Sir Isaac Newton because he's always- resentment? Why is that? <laughs> well, because his, the laws of physics were constantly being like kind of imposed on us as absolute fact when I had already seen outside of these laws of physics when I was a child. So I always kind of felt like, man, that guy had it wrong. He can't be right. And then when I really started to be more open-minded about him and look into him, I was like, oh my God, he was an alchemist. He was uh, surprisingly a devout Christian, very, um, which is so interesting because they actually use him as the opposite of religion or spirituality and to know that he was actually in complete service to Jesus and God, you know, um, was very interesting and shocking. And then even more so to know how he was, you know, he never really revealed where he got his information from. And when you start going down the alchemical papers, which are available on the Cambridge website, when you look at them, you're like, actually, I think a lot of his information was coming from channeling and a lot of these alternative things that are actually his work is used to dismiss is the actual methods that he was using to get that information. And it's just so mind blowing. So it really um, changed my perspective on it because as we know, science and spirituality, math and mysticism are not at odds with each other, but it's the same divide and conquer tactic, but with information. And they're pulling the information into duality into two divisive places so that people could not find the truth. 
And that's just what I loved about the Sir Isaac Newton stuff because it was eye-opening for me to be able to see that actually this person who's been used to discredit all of these things was one of the biggest believers himself. Yeah, exactly. And his his uh, religious, as you point out, his religious uh, ideas are just disappeared. They're like he's he's become a kind of a cardboard cutout. There's no there's no there's no there there, but there was a there there, and it was a big there, and it was not the there that the scientific community would like to see. Um, so now now let's get on to the 2060 thing. How much do you know about that? Because I, I, I didn't know a thing about it. I'm curious. Um, so basically with the 2060 thing, Sir Isaac Newton um, suggests that the um, apocalypse scenario that is talked about in the book of Revelation, um, based on his coding, would happen in the year 2060. Now, he did say that it wasn't going to be the end of the world or destruction, but that it was going to be because as we know, um, when you really look into the word apocalypse, I actually did a whole series about comparing all the different apocalyptic prophecies. Um, and basically, when you look at the origin of the word apocalypse and the way that it originally was used in the Bible, um, it comes from the Greek word to mean the uncovering of information that was not previously known. So it yeah. actually doesn't mean the end of the world. It means the end of the old information. So Sir Isaac Newton also does say that similar type of um, interpretation of the apocalypse. Um, but the reason, one, that he wanted to find a date was because he felt that so many people in his time were manipulating people using the book of Revelation all the way to this time. We still see it. So he wanted to actually try to find the date. And he believed that everything in the Bible was actually an alchemical recipe or code, that they were not actually stories. He believes that King Solomon's temple is actually an alchemical code to create gold as opposed to a story about an actual king. So he has very interesting interpretations and that's what he used to come to this 2060 equation was him basically translating the story in the book of Revelations to an alchemical recipe and working his way back with mathematics to come to that date. So it's very interesting. Um, but it's mostly what he says is the ending of old information. The revelation of new information. And now we get, of course, to Linda's lonely, intense journey. And I say lonely because she's the most dogged of, of everyone who is in that space. Uh, she's been, ever since I've known her, and I listen, Linda and I have known each other a long, long time. Uh, ever since I've known Linda, she has been trying to get some kind of focus on something on this stuff. And she, there are places she won't go and places she will go. And she struggles and struggles and struggles to get what she calls disclosure. But it's actually much, much bigger than that. It's much more like what you're describing Isaac Newton thinking would happen in 2060, the overturning of the old and the emergence of the new. What form do you think it might take? What would it be like? So this is actually one of my favorite topics um, to talk about. I know. <laughs> and um, I am 
a bit more leaning towards, you know, what is called in like spiritual groups, more like the idea of like the earth shift or the fifth dimension, things like that. I think that those are words to describe what we're all talking about, you know, the same way that Sir Isaac Newton used the words that were available to him at that time. But I think everyone, Edgar Casey, Nostradamus, tons and tons of channelers are all talking about the same thing, which is the raising of consciousness on this planet. And so what you're saying, disclosure is one side of it, which is like basically the government admitting to what they've already known this whole time. But like you're saying, it's much bigger because it's not just the revealing of information that has been hidden from us. It's which also does um, Linda does also say this, that it's also um, disclosing of reality. Yes. It's like the reality of our world. And what's interesting, too, is. Um, you know, Jeffrey Mishlove, I'm sure you're familiar. Sure, with I know Jeffrey. And, you know, he started doing the Thinking Aloud again. And I I'm, yeah. I can't remember the guest's name, but he was bringing people th through remote viewing into the year 2050 and 2060. And it's a project that he's been working on since the 30s. I'm missing his name right now. But um, he also had a very similar um, thing that has come up in all of these Russell projects. Russell Targ, was it? Um, I think his name is Alan something, but I can't think of um, what his last name is. And he moved people from to the year 2050. And now he's doing another project to move them to the 2060 time frame. And what he says is that everyone in that time frame believes that they're that we live in a matrix of consciousness. So I think that's really what this is, is that it's the critical mass re reaching a point where we understand that reality and all that we know about our lives and ourselves and our place in the universe is going to change. And once we have that information, it is the apocalypse of all the old stuff, because the old stuff is basically tying us to a reality that doesn't even exist. Well, what we have actually is this we have these senses that project information into the brain, which then organizes it into perceptions and uh, relates them to previous knowledge. But there's a problem. What that isn't is an actual view of the outside world. You and I and everyone in, has never, no human being, in fact, no animal, no creature, has ever seen the real world. We have only seen what our brains make of it and what our bodies can transmit to our brains. Now, th does that mean that it could not be there at all? And if so, uh, could we be dealing with the Wizard of Oz for sure? Could this be Oz? It very well could be. And also, I mean, there's so many different concepts and different ways that people describe it throughout history, throughout everything. Some even say that we're like basically a memory, that we're currently living in a memory or a thought from a long time ago. So it's pretty crazy to even think about what we are currently in. And also as like our consciousness changes, as we collectively start to understand reality more are we even going to be in the same oz that we've been in or are we going to actually shape this thing that we have been experiencing into something completely different 
So it's exciting that we're at this time, but then also everyone has felt like they're at this time since Sir Isaac Newton's time. So exactly. it's hard to know. We, th that's, that's, the, that's the thing that we have to watch out for, this waiting, mm -hmm. you know, waiting to next year. Next year we'll have disclosure. And I mean, there are people in, the, in this world who make a living, they make a living out of anticipation. In other words, if you go on their websites or listen to them talk, they're always talking about this is all going to come together next year. This is the government is finally going to tell us the truth in X, or they don't usually say a specific date because that's a good way to get, get torpedoed, but it never happens. Mm -hmm. And that's because something organic is happening here. I don't think the, the understanding of what we really are and where we are and what our visitors or aliens or whatever they are, are has much to do with the government. Mm -hmm. I think it's got to do with the way the mind works and the brain. And which it gets me to another question that's kind of seem kind of out uh, an outlier, but it's actually directly on point. That is about your past life experiences. Who do you think you are? So I have done a couple of QHHT sessions, which is the Dolores Cannon hypnosis method. Right, yeah. And um, actually what's been very interesting, um, I do have a, like a couple of different perspectives on past lives in general, because we know now the more that we're learning that time is simultaneous. So there is this concept about past lives kind of being a pattern so like we only have the now. So if we do a past life regression or a future life regression, we're actually gonna be mimicking the same pattern that is in our life. So we might see a past life that is a different version of what we're dealing with now. Does that mean that we actually lived that past life? Or does that mean that because time is simultaneous, we're rippling out into the future and into the past to recreate the experiences that we're feeling right now. So, with that said, because it gets so crazy when we talk about simultaneous time being here in linear time, but when it comes to past lives, I feel like the past lives that regressions that I've had were also relevant to whatever I was going through in this life at that time. That could also be because our subconscious mind wants to show us something that could actually help us, not out of curiosity. And um, as far as what I experienced in these past life regressions, the most interesting thing to me was kind of like the between life part um what i was experiencing between lives which also ties into what we're talking about which is um basically i saw myself on the other side as some type of form of light that looks kind of humanoid and basically um we were going over a list of people who would be incarnating on earth and we were looking at all basically kind of like algorithms of all of the things that could lead them off of their life purpose or off of their path or anything that could derail them from what they were meant to learn on earth. And then we would basically take notes on it and give it to their guide. And then we never dealt with the person directly. We would give it to their spirit guide. Their spirit guide is meant to deal with it. So having that kind of regression before I ever even thought about posting on TikTok, when I got up from that regression, I'm like, how could I possibly help these people that I was working on their stuff in the other side. I have no access to these people. I don't know how this could happen. And then 
within a year, the whole TikTok thing ended up happening. And now I kind of see adding up why maybe now I'm in this position to share some of that information um, that resonates with some of those people and kind of helps people stay on their path. And the reason that the regressionist said, like, why, you know, are we showing her this? Why is she not going to know this now? And they said, because there's so many people that are here for this raising of consciousness right now. And those people need to remember why they're here, what they know, what they've practiced before coming to earth in order to actually do what they need to do to help raise consciousness while they're here. So I had no idea how that could come into form. And then all of a sudden the TikTok thing came into my life and presented it. So you're like the rest of us, you're, you're a messenger that somebody elected or you elected yourself or somehow or another it you felt ended a little up doing forced. This. It felt a little forced. It didn't feel like I was super voluntarily doing it, but. Yeah. <laughs> You're gone. Okay. <laughs> but I'm here, so. <laughs> so um, let's talk about a, a little bit about your, your, your early years when you were still young and innocent and running around in, in uh, little dresses or whatever when you were a little girl. Did any, was there anything going on that you remember that was weird, weird or that might suggest that you would, you would start down this path? So pretty much a very defining moment of my life was when I was five years old. This is what Linda interviewed me about, which is me and all of my siblings and step-siblings. There were six of us in total. Um, we were playing in the backyard. This was in Jersey City, New Jersey in 1993, um, late at night. And basically we had a collective UFO experience, all of the siblings together. Um, I was one of the younger ones, but the oldest was um, 13 and 14. There was two teenagers also, and they also remember the experience the same way. And when that happened, that was basically, you know, a very defining moment of my life. And also under the same hypnotic regression, um, we tried to get more information about it. They said it wasn't time for me to know at that time what happened that day. But they did say that the purpose, I remember it because there's so many times that people have these experiences, but they don't remember them. The purpose of me remembering was so that later in life, which now we see, um, I was meant to validate other people's experiences. So when other people were going to tell me about either that they were abducted or that they are an alien themselves or that they're a hybrid or that these things have happened, that I needed to know 100% that this is true because I needed to be someone who's not crazy to validate them, you know? In, in my new book, Them, which is just sort of easing its way out. Uh, I haven't publicized it much because the ebook's not, I mean, the uh, audiobook's not not published. And, it, you know, that's a big part of it. I want to, I'll publicize it when the audiobook comes out. But anyway, my fans know about it. In, um, there, there, it talks about, an, uh, I, re, uh, I have a series of letters in it that we've gotten over the years. So, because we've gotten some, fairly unusual letters as you may imagine and uh one of them is about a guy he was a soldier uh stationed abroad and lonely you know and he moved into off-base housing in hopes of um you know maybe meeting people and indeed the woman who lived below him in the um in the, in the condo he was in 
turned out to want to meet him. And she was a really beautiful young woman. So he met her. They became friends. They played games together. They had they had a very they got a very close friendship that eventually uh, turned into a night of love. Whereupon she dropped him, and he figured, well, maybe I was no good or not for her or whatever. Then she calls him to come down to her apartment, and he thinks, oh well, okay, I'm going to go down and be told goodbye. Well, that was sweet of her. At least tell me goodbye. Not everyone would. So he goes down there and he says there um he goes down there and he says that she said I'm going to show you something that's really going to scare you very much but then after that I'm going to leave she sits across from him in a well lighted room and slowly turns from a human being a very lovely young woman into a gray and then she turns back again into a human being. And he left the apartment, as you may imagine. <laughs> and he never saw her again. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I know other people who have done that who have turned into greys themselves. I knew a guy called Peter Fro who's passed on uh, who had turned into a grey. While he was he was a massage therapist and he was working very sensitive people, old people. You know, he was a very high level pro, pro and he worked with doctors. And he's in this room doing this massage and he glances up at the mirror across the way and he sees he's not human anymore. He's a gray, and he realizes if this elderly lady with a heart of tissue paper should open her eyes, she's dead. <laughs> so you know, he's really upset. But finally, but for he just keeps quietly massaging her and turns back into. A normal human being and the third one is it's happened to you're looking at him it happened to me wow and i was seen by other people who reacted they didn't know who i was they just reacted with this is something uh you know they were shocked to see this thing and then they later on when when uh we were together again. They said that, you know, we don't want any of your people in our house ever again. Mm. And I thought to myself, they seemed happy when I was there in that other form. But what the hell are we, Jen? What do you think we are? I'm telling you about something about human beings here. And uh, I I'm challenging you to theorize about what a human being is. So um, I actually um talked about this last night in my live um i was actually quoting um one of the dolores cannon books um because in that book it was a similar situation but the person was reptilian and they had been presenting a human form a human mask um but she was simultaneously living somewhere else um in the regression in the book they were asking is it another planet? Is it a craft? Is it a, where are you? And they said, it's none of those things. It's actually some type of enclosed space, but that many people on earth are actually just kind of projecting into this hologram, which is the word that we kind of are using yeah. now as we're evolving to figure out our reality, this like holographic universe model. 
so that there's beings that can project into this reality but that their soul is simultaneously somewhere else living also a simultaneous life as another being so for example in the case of people who are also simultaneously living lives as grays that could be a future life or a simultaneous life and basically i've also I'm also trained in Dolores Cannon's method too. Um, and I only really do it on like a personal level. I don't do it professionally, but um, I've also had someone tell me something very similar, which is um, that they're not actually human, that their soul is basically like a fairy nature spirit soul that has been on the earth a long time. And that she is just projecting a human mask that we're all seeing a human mask, but that that person is actually not a human soul. So I think that's what's happening all the time. Um, I don't know about every single person, but I think that a lot of people that are on earth right now are just projecting a human mask into this reality the same way as if I was playing a video game right now. And in that video game, I was some type of blue avatar being. I would still be this human that I am sitting on the couch but also I don't know if, you know, someone's behind me with the remote and what that being looks like and if they're just playing me as a human, you know? So I feel like the video game example is kind of the easiest way for us to understand how we could be in both of those worlds at the same time. So I think you are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are, in fact. And, uh, you know, my wife, after my wife died in 2015, it took her not long to get, to re reconnect. Wow! And, and she did it very skillfully. I'm not going to go into it. My listeners know this um, by first contacting other people and telling them to contact me at moments when I was really longing for her. And uh, we had a really good marriage. And it's I mean, she's still very much part of this deal. That's why I wear both ring uh, both rings because. Uh, we're just two of us are sharing the same body now. Um, so anyway, the first one of the first things she said after she could reliably contact me was, Whitley, it's a game. It's all a game. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then you think it's you think about people like Hitler and stuff and you think maybe it's a fairly serious game. Mm -hmm. But I think we're, we're in the kind of going down the right road here. Because there's something about this whole experience of being alive that isn't final. It's there's someone else in us, I think, probably in all of us. You know, years ago, I was being, I wouldn't say harassed, but intensely questioned by some senators because of a book I wrote called Majestic that contains essentially all of the secrets about uh, the Roswell incident uh, wrapped up in a work of fiction. And they I have were... it on my shelf, by the way. Right oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> so uh, one of the staffers told me that the NSA was reading my computer uh, from a, 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 a signal collection point in the World Trade Center, which we were on in Brooklyn Heights, and you could literally see the World Trade Center from our flat. And so I, my son says, well, why don't you tell him you're an alien? And I said, I thought, that's a really stupid idea. I, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I typed this thing up saying I was an alien. And the next morning, 
all of these unmarked cars packed the little street we lived on. It was like a, <laughs> a block long street that dead ended at, at the at the uh, New York Harbor. And, you know, people couldn't get in and out of the street. There were all these cars. So I called a detective I knew and he, he ran the license plates. You couldn't you can do that now easily. But in those days, it was hard. And they were all uh, federal cars. So I called the Senate staffer and I said, look, I told him what happened. And he said, oh, I'll get rid of them. And five minutes later, all the cars left. In other words, they believed it and it scared <laughs> the shit out of them. So what do you think that means? What do you think they are hiding? And is it really true that we are even in control of all of this? What if we look at the government? We're not people, all this people giving the secrets. We're not looking at human beings at all. We're looking at shells that contain something else. What is it, Jen? <laughs> well, also, I think it does once again play into that simultaneous time. And I really like this belief. Maybe it's because it's comforting to me, but um, that basically there is a successful timeline of the universe where the universe completes itself. And that would mean that basically the original source, God, as some would call it, the original creator, when it splits out into all of these different experiences and experiences every different form of everything and then still finds its way back to itself and reunites with itself. Now that process could take, we don't know, maybe we're already 13 billion years into that process. But um, so I do believe that because time is simultaneous, that already exists, that the creator, the source, whatever it is, has already gone through everything and reunited with itself and completed its own soul's evolution. So each of us as little individuals are just those different perspectives of a soul's evolution, playing out all the different possibilities to make our soul evolve. So Earth that we're experiencing right now is a part of that story, a very important part of that story, I believe, because for us to be able to live in a physical reality with free will and to have all of our greatness um, erased from our memory and to feel alone and individual. And this also kind of goes into like the concept of evil, you know, like obviously it's such a divisive topic, but um, I did hear this quote that if it wasn't for evil, consciousness would never find its way back. It would just roam forever. So I also think that this is you know what that is a brilliant you you hit the nail on the head. Oh. You're the first guest I've ever had who understood the reality of the need for evil and what it actually is. But go right ahead. Oh, wait a minute. 34. I'm many minutes past my break. I'm supposed to take a break. We put in ads that don't work. And then uh, <laughs> go and then, for it. <laughs> and then so we're gonna take a little break. Uh we're talking to Jen Carmody, a very, very brilliant and very cool messenger from the beyond. We'll be right back. Them, Mitch Horowitz calls it in the preface, among the most important interpretations of visitor phenomena since Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia in 1969. Dr. Vallée says in his foreword, the book cites fact after fact to build the case for in-depth realignment 
of public policy and public need. Diana Walsh Pasulka, author of American Cosmic says, leads the way and it's best that we listen because the stakes have never been higher. EarthTech International President Hal Putoff says, them is exceedingly valuable. Leslie Kane, author of UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record, says, groundbreaking in the truest sense of the word. Bigelow Aerospace VP Colm Kelleher says, searing and masterful. Them. Available as an audiobook on audible.com, Apple Books, and Amazon. Available as a hardcover and paperback everywhere. Available as a Kindle on Amazon.com. And you can go to unknowncountry.com and order all of my books. Where are we going? Where have we come from? What secrets have been buried? What secrets have been lost? What is the truth? about the Close Encounter experience. You have never heard any of this before. Them. We're talking to Jen Carmody. Uh, Jen, where can we meet up with you? Where do we find you on the internet? So I am a TikToker. So I am JK underscore ultra on TikTok. I'm also um, very active on Instagram. I couldn't get JK Ultra for Instagram, so I'm Jennifer C-E-E -E on Instagram and also on my YouTube, um, which is also JK Ultra. And that's a little bit more of the long form content and some more personal content. Uh, there have recent, recently been some uh, nervous ripplings on Amazon, which is beginning to ban books like a, a, they banned an abduction book and the biggest UFO investigator in uh, Scotland has just been thrown off uh, Amazon. And I'm wondering, I know that the U.S. Defense Department is really nervous about us, all of us, every single one of us, because we represent something that frightens it. Frightens it badly enough to where I'm fairly sure they're leaning on Amazon and this will not be the end of it. I'm already making plans to change my whole book selling process because I have a feeling I'm, I'm somewhere in line on Amazon. Now, YouTube is another one that's vulnerable. I think TikTok because of its danger, danger of getting uh, thrown off uh, the out of the United States is vulnerable too. They can be leaned on. So, did were you able to monetize your TikTok channel? Um. So actually, the way that I monetize is not really directly through TikTok. Um, it's also, I mean, TikTok is a great platform because it has a natural algorithm, whereas like a lot of the one other ones are very geared towards celebrities or paid content and things like that. TikTok does have a natural algorithm, so it does allow for when I just wanted to post that one video about Ghislaine Maxwell for it to hit the right people without having a following at that time. Um, as far as putting information on different platforms, it's interesting. The type of things that I would get in trouble for on TikTok is totally fine on the other apps. 
certain words, you know, um, the C word communism. If you use that word, you're you're done. You're done on that. App. <laughs> and they so, say they they say they're not connected to the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> yeah, if you use that word on there, I can guarantee you will be shadow banned um, because I test it out quite often. And um, but surprisingly, a lot more of the like government conspiracy stuff actually can go a lot far farther on an app like TikTok than, say, Instagram. So it's very interesting between all of these different apps, kind of what picks up and what doesn't. And I don't know if that has to do anything with like any agendas behind the scenes um, as far as TikTok getting banned. Per personally, I think it's a forced sale that they're trying to force it to go public and to restructure so that it can go public, it could be on the stock exchange, and then all the senators can buy um, stock, just like they have stock in Meta and Twitter and Google, so which is YouTube. Um, so I feel like really what it is, is they want it to be a forced sale. I don't think it has anything to do with safety of anyone. I agree with you, I'm sure that's right. No, when I went on to YouTube, I hadn't had I didn't have two videos up before I got a notice saying that my channel couldn't be monetized. Oh wow. So and, and that was because of who I am. Wow. And but I stayed on YouTube anyway because I like uh, I like the way it works and you also you get a good audience on YouTube. Uh, I'm trying to figure out TikTok as I think I said earlier, or maybe not on the show. I don't know. Um so you've mentioned Jelaine Maxwell a couple of times and uh, can you talk a little bit about what is, because there's a, an awful lot there that's hidden. I'll just give you one idea. If you've noticed, nothing is ever said about all of the videos that were made in those houses. The reason is, there are two reasons for this. One is the people who are, in, a lot of the people in the videos are too powerful to to fail. And uh, the other one is more important. Uh, the a, uh, uh, a, a police officer from Florida, from the Florida State Police, took DVDs of all of those videos to Russia mm. and sold them to Russia and now lives there. So Putin's got all that dirt. So what does this all mean? Go back to Jelaine Maxwell and we'll start there. We're going to do a little conspiracy theory, folks. Nice, fun. Just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just for um, fun. <laughs> <laughs> so um, with that, it's such an interesting thing that it did get so into the mainstream, but then also that there's so many parameters on it. It's kind of like this weird thing where it's like, oh, this has all come out to the mainstream, but we're not really going to tell you anything. Um, right. yeah. So it's just weird. Um, now, I've kind of heard a couple of different perspectives about those client lists and those videos and those things coming out. And one of the perspectives that I found the most interesting was someone who had been channeling. I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth April. I think you actually have done an event with Elizabeth April. Um, I may have, yeah. And she, she has a really large following on YouTube and she does channeling and she channels um, what she calls the Galactic Federation. And um, according to her, what had come through in some of that stuff was also that even though there's like nefarious forces that are keeping this information secretive, she said also that a kind of on a cosmic spiritual level that these like 
intergalactic or interdimensional forces are also keeping that information private because of the destruction that it would cause. That basically some of those videos coming out, there's many of us who already believe in these things who are like, yeah, let's get the truth. We're truth seekers. But then there's a lot of people that it would completely shatter their reality in every way. And it would actually, um, even too, with like, you know, some of the stuff about like, maybe our reality is being controlled by outside beings in a way. These type of concepts that many of the people who believe in them want them to come to the surface because it helped us to understand reality. There's a lot of other people who would not benefit from this information. And it would, I mean, you know, we already know some of the people who are suggested to be in those videos or lists. If some of those people were exposed for potentially what they might have done, um, they're gonna, people are gonna be in the streets burning things, hurting people, because we already know the human reaction that's possible. So it's such like an interesting balance because, you know, part of me as a truth seeker wants the truth out. But then the other part of me is like, would this really be beneficial for humanity to know how disgusting the truth is? You know, not everybody can handle that. And that goes back to what we said about empaths. Empaths are here to be the, you know, still have love regardless of what happens. So for them to actually maybe see something like that or exposed to something like that, they're going to be not able to even do their job on earth to spread love and frequency raising, you know? So yeah, it's such a complicated thing with all of this stuff because we want the truth. But then at the same time, the truth doesn't benefit everyone. Back in 1985, a uh, van full of children stopped at a park in Tallahassee, Florida. And the children were let out of the van to ro roam around in the park. People who lived around the park were concerned because these children weren't neighborhood children and they looked all dirty and not, not in good shape. So they called the police who then located the van and questioned the children. The children said that they were on their way to a school for special children in Mexico. And that began the story of the finders, which eventually got into the hands of some Congress people and was reported in US News and World Report in different places. And this was a group of people called the finders. And what they were doing with children is unknown because the Central Intelligence Agency stepped in, although it's hard to find this now. In fact, it did. When the Treasury Department, which has the responsibility for, or had then the responsibility for investigating ch child uh, abuse uh, involving interstate travel, uh, tried to step in, the CIA said, no, it's a national security matter. Why? Mm. Why is it a national security matter that children would be taken across the border to a place in, and I know where it is because I was in it when I was a little boy oh my God. in Monterey, Mexico. Why would they be taken there? I remember a little bit about what happened there. Oh and I have to tell you that all of this stuff about the use of children is real. There is something there. I can't say it's definitely what it is, but there's something there. You know, there's a lady in England who works with children and she can put 
a, a blindfold on children. And because their left brain hasn't taken over yet, they still have the real human power. Mm -hmm. And after a few minutes, they can identify anything she, like she put pictures up in front of them when they cannot, absolutely cannot see a thing and they can see it mm -hmm. because they're using their third eye. And someone really does not want us to wake up and use our third eye. Why is that, do you think? Why are we not supposed to know what's going on? I do believe, you know, that there's also outside forces that are playing a part in this, outside meaning maybe outside of our dimension that are playing in this. So I believe that it's happening here in the physical and it's rippling down to a lot of people in power in the physical. But I also think that there is more to it, you know, what they're using these children for, um, that there's the harvesting of energy and things like that. Maybe some type of things interdimensionally where they need like something like a child to be able to do things in our physical. Yeah, they need that energy. We come, you know, what is the poem? We've come uh, uh, from from we know not where, and when we come to Earth, we we gradually lose all of our magic. They need that magic, and they're stealing it from children. And it's so sad. And then also, too, to kind of also see the type of children that a lot of times are selected is also another thing that I think about, too, because... What I've noticed um, with some of these things too is they also try to find people with certain lineages or certain genetics. Yes. Um, and does that mean because maybe some people, you know, from certain cultures have older genetics on this planet and that there's something with their DNA that they can use and harness? It's really, that's the part of it all that, um, you know, when you talk about a lot of these like raising of consciousness, it doesn't really explain how that is going to disappear from our reality. Um, you know, they don't really in a lot of these prophecies and stuff say how that fall of those systems of what they're doing to children and all of these nefarious programs and things that are happening. You know, I don't know how those are going to fall. I but my I do feel deeply that it is going to happen, you know, because it can't continue. It's already continued on this planet for, I believe, 5,000 years at least, that this thing with children has been happening throughout all of these different... Throughout all of history, absolutely. Different governments, different... Whoever was in power, there is this continuation of this horrible thing that they're doing. But I know the it has to The purity of the soul as it comes from God is is being mined by the dark side mm. and they say too that it's um even like evil or darkness is um a misinterpretation of their true energy so it's like even evil even these horrible disgusting beings that are doing this people or whatever um they're still coming from the same god or source so you know sometimes i even think to myself if some of these horrible things are still part of the game you know, and it's also, they are, you know, it's very difficult to kind of balance that, you know, to balance the idea that um, how would source or creation fully experience everything without fully experiencing everything, you know, but then it's also not to be dismissive of any of those people's lived experiences, because those are also very real.
That's right. And that I think you're when you talk about that full expression of everything, that is probably the aim of the universe. I've always thought that the universe was created when God realized it didn't exist. Hey, wait a minute. I forgot something. Bang! <laughs> the flash of insight is the universe. Um, God's flash of insight is the universe. Now, let's let's go on down the road a little bit. Uh, are you familiar with a book called The Adam and Eve Story? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Well, it's a book uh, that you can only read parts of because it is about pole shift. Mm. And it was published back in the 50s, I think, or early 60s, and then classified by the CIA. So it's a classified book about pole shift. And I think it really tells the skinny about this. Now, just recently, it has been discovered that Earth's core has stopped rotating. What do you think might happen? So um, I have read some of those, the, the excerpts from that book that are on the um, Freedom of Information Act stuff. Right. So yeah. that I have actually read about where they talk about the two different types of pole shifts, that one is a magnetic shift, which would be the magnetic field of the planet shifts. And they say that could happen from um, our, and same thing, NASA and all of these things have been talking about how our magnetic field has been weakening very quickly on the planet. Right. Since, um, from 2014 till now has been a huge decrease in the magnetic field. Um, so then say something like, you know, we also talk about this uh, asteroid that is going to be the largest asteroid that's going to be coming near Earth in the year 2030. Um, so something like that could cause a pole shift on the magnetic level, because if our magnetic field is weak and this asteroid comes very close to the magnetic field, having a magnetic field itself, it could pull or shift. But that would be that the surface of the planet would stay intact, but the magnetic field would change. And just, I'm sure anyone listening knows this, but just to like reiterate is that we have a geographical North Pole and a magnetic North Pole, and they're not in the same place. You know, one is the top of the planet and the other one now I think was like in Siberia and it's coming down to like Canada because the magnetic North Pole has been rapidly changing since we've been um, measuring it. So that would be that that magnetic North Pole would change to somewhere else in the planet. The other theory of pole shift is the one that um, I believe Albert Einstein um, believed in, which was a crustal shift, which sounds right. more similar to the core of the planets no longer well, rotating. When the, when the core the stops rotating, move. when the rest of the planet is rotating, the stresses are building up mm -hmm. because that, that, that slow rotation of the core uh, evens out the stresses between the core and the surface. But when it's stopped and it's rotating with the surface, those stresses build up and build up. And something is going to give sooner or later, I'm sure. And if you ask Graham Hancock, it's happened in the past. And there's even a lot of evidence that it has that, th that, this, that this shift of the physical shift takes place so deep, it doesn't change the geology of the surface but it just changes the position of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if, you, if you look at, uh, at his work and you look at some of the other things that have been discovered, like for example, there's this 
site called, uh, called uh, it's a geodetic, uh, about geodetic lines. And you can draw a geodetic line, a line around the planet, and all kinds of sacred sites are on that line, but it doesn't point to anywhere. It points to a place, 1400, I think it's 1420, I'm, don't, don't, don't quote me folks, but I, I'm close, more than a thousand miles away from current physical north. Mm. And it's because these sites were all pointing at the physical north pole when they were built. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? It really is. And also, you know, just even kind of exploring this stuff, it only more so confirms how the history that we've been taught is not at all the history of this planet. Because where, you know, even with comes to like the pole shift stuff, when you look at kind of like the science behind it, they're saying the last time this happened was like 300,000 years ago. But then when you kind of look at some of these sacred sites and stuff, that would not be an accurate time frame as to right. when any of this stuff occurred. There's a there's a psychological block against catastrophism in the science, mm -hmm. scientific community. They're afraid to risk their careers by saying something extreme. And so everyone backs off from it. And the result is that they, they they're losing track with of the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, free Dreamlanders, those of you who listen to the show free, um, it's time to go home, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. We're talking to Jennifer Carmody, so incredibly fascinating and interesting and brilliant person oh, uh, who has uh, taken us down some fascinating paths. Can you reiterate all of the places we can find you and the places you want us to find you the most come first? Um, thank you, everybody. Um, first, Instagram is Jennifer C-E-E. -E. Um, TikTok is JK Ultra, JK underscore Ultra. And then here on YouTube is um, JK Ultra. <laughs> okay, great. All right, now we're gonna... You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander. <laughs>